Well, I think this is the first time since November that I have not wore a bathrobe to church. I have been watching online on YouTube, haven't been here in the uh, building. Hopefully this is not in the way. So, hey, shout out to all my YouTube buddies. I've been, you know, chatting with them a little bit this morning already because I miss them too much. I couldn't just not talk to you. So, yeah, there's a, a number of them out there. Some people that I've known for years and some that are new have never actually met them. But, you know, shout out to G. Been talking, talking to him for a few weeks online. But Trish and Dave and Lana and sometimes people who are here in the building like Marlo and Chris and Mary, but they still come online. So join us sometimes. Pull out your phone and chat away on YouTube and say hi to people you haven't talked to for a while or seen for a while. So it is great to be back here in person as well. So we're all part of the same body. So it's good for me to kind of combine the two, my online friends and my in-person friends today. So as a church uh, family, in the last few weeks, we've been going through a message series called One Kingdom Disciple. And that uh, title is referring to how God has one kingdom and only one, the kingdom of God. We desire to be a part of that. Through our faith in Jesus Christ brings us into that kingdom of God. And we want to genuinely be a disciple of Jesus. Be more like Jesus in all that we do. That's what being a disciple is, following him. But the problem is that sometimes we tend to build our own little kingdom off to the side. And sometimes, honestly, we don't realize it. Our selfishness gets in the way. We make our own little kingdoms that we are just not quite ready to surrender completely to God in order to become more like Jesus. So we've been going through some of those as a church family and talking about them and saying, okay, what, what can we focus in on here and say we need to surrender this area to God and we need to make sure that um, we are, are fully being a one disciple follower and not building our own kingdoms on the side. So today we are going to talk about that disciple as a servant, putting others first. I think most of us probably think, yeah, putting others first seems like a really good idea, seems like a nice thing to do. But you know what? There are things that hold us back from that. Just because it seems like a good idea doesn't make it easy. So if you're online right now, I want you to just quickly type in the comments. And if you're sitting here, if there's somebody right next to you that you can turn to, I want you to say one thing. What is one thing that keeps you from putting others first? All right, I'll tell you, for me, it's just pure selfishness. And usually it involves my time. My time is my time. And I don't want to share it with anybody else. I want to be in control of what I do with that time and, and how I use it. You know, it's, it's great to say that uh, we want to put others first, but we need to look at how do we really do that? How can God help us really be like Jesus and put others first? In Canada, we kind of get that stereotype that, we're super polite, and we always put others first. You know why no one ever gets through the door into a building is because there's two people standing there going, you go first. Oh, no, no, you go first. No, I insist, you go first. It's probably more of a stereotype than reality. I've had the door slammed in my face a few times in Canada, sadly. You know, and I Googled putting others first just to see what's out there. So on the first page, page of Google, there's a couple other things, question, answer things, but there were only, there were seven articles that were actually about putting others first. Out of those seven things, six of them were from secular sources, not Christian. Three of those articles specifically said, no, no, putting others first is a bad idea. You need to take care of yourself first. You need to make sure that you are healthy and well, make sure that your own well-being is, is primary in your life before you try to help anybody else. 
There was another one from a secular source that did say, you know, yeah, putting others first. It sounds like a good idea, but they said that uh, it was a good idea because it was a form of enlightened self-concern. That sounds suspiciously to me like not really putting others first. You're still putting your own self-concern first, but somehow it's better for you if you put other people first. A little backward in my thinking. Then there was one article and only one that did advocate for looking out for the needs of others before your own needs, and it was specifically related to uh, in the workplace, workplace environment, and as a leader in the workplace, thinking of the needs of your employees, and if you put those first, then it will go better for you or for the company. All right. The one and only Christian article turned out to not actually be an article. It was a link to an, a website called openbible.info. Now, openbible.info is just a website where you can type in whatever subject you want, and it will bring up a list of Bible verses that have to do with that subject. So under the subject of putting others first, you brought that up, there were, and I counted them, exactly 100 verses listed there. Some of them are probably more directly relevant than others. Sometimes they maybe are a little more indirect. But nevertheless, the Bible clearly has a lot to say about this idea of putting others first. Now, I'm not going to go through all 100 verses that we found on openbible.info, and you'll be grateful for that. I'm going to look at three key passages this morning. So let's look at this together. The first one we're going to talk about is John 13, verses 3 to 17. Just going to read the first couple of verses here, and then we'll talk about them. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Let's pause right there because there's a foundational truth that we need to know and we need to pay attention to here as we start to talk about serving others and putting them first. Truth number one, when we know our identity, we can put others first. Look at verse three. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that he had all authority, that he'd come from God, he was going back to God. Now, if you had that kind of knowledge of the authority that you had in this world, if you have that kind of knowledge of your, uh, of your existence and your destiny, what would be your first inclination to do? What would you do with that authority? I'm not sure the first thing I would think of is to wash somebody's dirty feet. But that's what it said. If you look at the beginning of verse 4, the first word is so. So means you've got to refer back to something else. So, so what? Why? So he, what's his reason? That so is what is his reason why he got up from the table and washed the disciples' feet? It goes back to what he knew. Jesus knew his identity his authority, everything he had came from God. And because he knew that, he had confidence. He had the confidence to be able to serve people without losing face, without pride being in the way, without it being false humility, without there being any underlying motivation or reason that was impure, because he knew who he was in Christ. Putting others first starts with knowing our identity and knowing that our identity is this, it is only in knowing that you are created by God and you are loved by him. 
Nothing else is your identity if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are created by God, loved by him. That knowledge of your identity, that knowing that deep inside of yourself, that this is who you are, gives you the freedom to be able to serve others without being concerned about what they think of you or what anyone else thinks of you, without having pride, just like Jesus did, that humility. Here's something interesting. In Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Same basic thing that he said in, in John, right? His next line is, go therefore make disciples. In this passage, he's talking to his followers, his disciples, and ultimately talking to us. That his message is for all those who are disciples of Christ, not just those who are living on earth at the same time as him, but for every one of us who follows after him even now. So once again, he equates, I have all authority in heaven and earth. I have all that authority you go and make disciples. See, we can have the confidence that we have been commissioned by Jesus to do the things that he did. And that confidence, that knowing our identity and our authority is in Christ, gives us what we need to be able to serve others and to be able to put them first. Let's continue reading in John 13. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Jesus was turning the worldview of the disciples upside down. Whatever the world teaches or believes or practices, Jesus demonstrates the opposite. We see this over and over in scripture. Just as the secular world on Google says, No, no, you need to put yourself first. You need to watch out for your own needs and make sure that you are taken care of. Jesus says, that's not how it is in my kingdom. The world says that the more honorable a person is, the more that person should be served. The world says the more powerful a person is, the more that person has the right to boss others around. The world says if you want to be a leader, then you need to get out there and take charge. The world tramples over other people's feelings in order to get to the top, to get what's best for me, all about self. But Jesus says, that's not how we do things in my kingdom. In God's kingdom, we serve each other. We do what we can for each other out of love for each other. Even in the world, when you see a worldly leader doing something that seems to put other people first, The very fact that you can see it because the cameras are rolling tells me that that person is looking for something out of their service to others. They're looking for recognition. They're following the worldly way that says, I need to be recognized for what I do. And that is not really putting others first. It's still putting yourself first. In God's kingdom, the greatest serves the least. Your reputation is built on how much you serve others 
without recognition. Not on how you use others to get recognition and get what you want out of life. It's about truly caring for the other person's needs, putting them above your own, not just caring about what you need and what you want, but truly caring about what the other person has. The attitude is different when Jesus teaches on serving. The motivation is different when Jesus serves. It's a change from the inside out, a changed heart that makes us want to serve others the way Jesus did, just because Jesus modeled it for us and our heart desires to be like Jesus. It's not for our own gain. It's not to enhance our own reputation. See, the deeper, this is deeper than doing kind deeds. Jesus didn't just walk around being nice to people. It's not just about us opening the door for someone or letting someone cut in line in front of us or giving your sister the last cookie. That is, that's shallow compared to what Jesus did and what he is abdicating for us to do. This change comes from deep inside. And it's a deep confidence that comes from our identity in Christ that allows us to serve. It comes from knowing Jesus intimately. Where does that change from the inside out come from that makes all of this ability to be a one kingdom disciple possible? It comes from knowing Jesus intimately. And how do we do that? Just spending time with him. Praying, talking to him, reading his word, listening to what he has to say. It's not a list of things that you need to try to do to be a better Christian. It's knowing Jesus intimately that will give you the ability to fully trust him with the outcome of your serving actions. And that brings us to truth number two. When we trust God, we can put others first. We have to trust God that our needs will be met while we serve others. We trust him to meet our need for time. We trust him to meet our need for the space that we need and the strength that we need to carry on. We trust God to be in control when we want to be in control. We trust him when our service to others is misunderstood, when it's not appreciated, when it goes completely unnoticed. We trust him when the results of our service don't exactly come out the way we want them to. Nothing changes. The person doesn't appreciate it, change it in any way, care about it. We trust God with those results. And again, all this trust comes from knowing God intimately because the more you know the one you trust in, the more you can trust him. And the more you can trust God, the more you can serve others and put them first. Well, we all know lots of people who are not followers of Jesus, but who live very selfless lives. There are people out there who do all kinds of good things, and they live uh, for other people, it would appear. So what is the difference between those people and followers of Jesus? Well, one of the things that differs is their motivation. Truth number three, when we have the right motivation we can put others first. So what was Jesus' motivation for serving others? His motivation for serving others was to show them the love of God. And that is our motivation for putting others first. The title of this sermon has kind of two parts to it. 
the disciple as servant, putting others first. If you separate those two and just try to go with putting others first, this is what the world does, and it can burn you out. It becomes your identity. What happens to the selfless person who does not know Christ but is trying to live well and do good for other people? What is their motivation? Maybe they're trying to leave the world a better place. Maybe they're trying to earn their way into heaven, which you can't do. Maybe they're just trying to make others think well of them so that they would have a good reputation in others' eyes. Here's the problem with that kind of motivation. What happens if you come to a point in life where you can no longer do those good deeds, when you can no longer be that selfless person for others, when you need people to care for you, or when you are unable to do that? What happens to your identity? Who are you without those good deeds that everyone knows you for? You see, your motivation has to be deeper than that. It's not just putting others first for the sake of putting others first, but as the other part of that sermon title says, it is to serve them. When our motivation is to serve others in order to show them God's love, as Jesus did, that gives us motivation. That motivation gives us purpose. It gives us life. It gives us the strength to carry on and to get over the resentment, the exhaustion, the tiredness, the things that can come with always putting others first. If you're exhausted, if you're tired, if you're overwhelmed with putting others first, stop and examine your motives and say, am I doing this to show this person God's love? And sometimes you can just, that change in saying, I will do this to show them love, can change how you function, how well you can carry on serving others and putting them first. So that motivation that Jesus had was to serve others. We're going to read our second example out of the, the Bible of Jesus to get a little bit better perspective on his motivation. Mark 10, 35 to 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we can. We're able. Then Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the other ten disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
want to interject a little note of explanation there for those who may not know. Son of man is a title that Jesus often used in the Bible to refer to himself. So when he says, the son of man came not to serve, but to be, uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, he's speaking of himself and what his purpose was for coming. Let's start by looking at the motivation of James and John. These were two brothers who were followers of Jesus. They had left everything, their families, their jobs, everything they had. They followed Jesus everywhere he went, along with the other ten disciples. They listened to his teaching. They saw his miracles. They assisted him in, in whatever ways they could. So these are people who knew intimately Jesus and his work on this earth. Now, when they talk about this glorious throne it's possible that they were thinking of a physical throne on earth somewhere in the nation of Israel. Back in the Old Testament, we have in our Bible, there are many prophecies that say that a Messiah is coming. Now, Messiah, spoiler alert, is Jesus. You find that out when you get to the New Testament. So the, the, the prophet said this Messiah is coming, and his reason for coming, he is going to build the kingdom of God. He's coming to establish the kingdom of God on earth. Well, a lot of the Jewish people over the years had interpreted that to mean he's coming to build a physical kingdom. The Old Testament that we have is the same scriptures that the Jewish people, when Jesus came to the earth, those Jewish people had the same Old Testament that we have now. That's what they referred to as their scriptures. They knew those prophecies. They had that for their understanding of who Jesus was and what this Messiah would do when he comes. A lot of them thought it was going to be a physical kingdom. Jesus, or the Messiah, as they knew, was going to be coming to overthrow the Roman government that held uh, power over Israel. He was going to establish his own nation there on earth. They would finally have freedom to govern themselves. That's what they come to believe. Now, Jesus' followers begin to understand, as he taught, that this kingdom was not a physical kingdom here on earth, but a spiritual kingdom an inner transformation, an inner freedom from inside each one of us, not necessarily a physical kingdom on earth. They were beginning to understand that. But did James and John at this point know that? We don't know for sure. They may have been thinking this is a physical kingdom and they wanted to sit on each side of his throne. That seems a little audacious, does it not? They wanted to be recognized in some special way. We don't know their exact motivation, but it would appear from their words that they wanted to be recognized, likely for the things they had given up in life, the following Jesus, the way they served him. But it wasn't enough to just do it from a pure motivation of serving others in order to bring them to the love of God, but no, they wanted to be recognized for it. Well, then consider the reaction of the ten disciples, the other ones, when they heard what James and John had done. They were indignant. And I suppose that many of us here can probably accept that that seems like a reasonable response. When you're in a group of people, you're at work you're, or at school, and you're working on a project together, you're all doing your part in this, supposedly, and a couple of people stand up and start taking the credit for it and wanting extra attention and extra credit from the professor and say, look at me, look what I did. I did all this work. You get a little indignant, don't you? Hey, what about me? I put the work in, too. Just as good as you are. I did just as much as you did. But here's the thing, even the response, although it seems very natural to us, from the other disciples, it shows their sin of pride too. 
Why, if they were serving with pure motives, would it matter to them what James and, and John got or didn't get or anything like that? But clearly in their hearts, they still had pride. They still had some wrong motivation there. Were they indignant just because they thought James and John were incredibly rude? Maybe. Was it because they thought, well, why didn't we think of that first? I could ask for my place next to Jesus. You know, kind of wish I would have. Maybe they were indignant because they honestly thought, James and John are not the worthiest of the disciples. If anybody is going to sit next to Jesus, they're not the two. There are other people who deserve that honor more. Whatever their motivation was for being indignant, it shows that in their hearts, there was still pride. There was still a lack of humility in serving others that said, I don't care who gets the credit, and I don't care what the results are, other than I want to be faithful to serve my God by serving others. Jesus challenged the disciples with his response saying that his kingdom is not a worldly kingdom where those who rule over uh, rule the kingdom rule over all of the other people and the only way to get ahead is to serve your master and hope that he will give you a reward at the end in this upside down kingdom of god the leaders the masters the lords were those who served the people who were under them definitely an upside down model and how could anyone dare say anything more to Jesus when his final words to them were that he came to serve and to give his life? You see, dying on the cross was the ultimate way that Jesus put others first. Jesus didn't just walk around the earth doing nice things for other people and putting them first. He had a purpose to why he did that. And that purpose was to bring people to God, to show them the love of God, to show them their need for salvation, their need for repentance, and his great love for them that took him to the cross on their behalf to forgive their sins. He came, as he said, to serve others and to give his life for them. Serving people in order to show them God's love and to bring them to Jesus, that is the motivation and the purpose that we need to carry on and to be like Jesus in what we do. We've seen from Jesus' example that we need to have our identity rooted and grounded in Christ. We need to trust God, and we need to have the right motivation. One more thing I want to look at and that is that we need to have the right attitude. When we have the right attitude, we can put others first. Fortunately, God preserved for us in his word exactly what Jesus' attitude toward life and service was and told us we're supposed to have this same attitude. No guesswork here. This is what we are to do. This is what our attitude is to be. Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. This tells us Jesus' attitude. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Pause for a moment and go through those a little at a time. 
don't be selfish. As I said before, that is my number one reason why I find it hard to put others first sometimes. It's my time, and I don't want to give it away. But Jesus had a different attitude. Don't try to impress others. Well, that goes back to John 13, where we learn that if we are rooted and grounded in our identity in Christ, we won't have any need to impress anyone else. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Where does humility come from? Same places as don't impress others. It comes from your identity in Christ. If you know who you are in Christ, if you know that God loves you and that God created you and that Jesus died for you and that's all that matters, that's who makes you who you are, you won't need to to try to impress other people, but you also won't need to prove your worth to anyone else. Do you know what the other side of that humility is? When you know who you are in Christ, you don't put yourself down either. No false humility here. No putting yourself down and no bringing yourself up. You just walk in the middle knowing you are rooted and grounded in your identity in Christ and nothing can change that. Don't look out for your own interests, but look to the others as well. It's a key thing we've been talking about today, taking an interest in others' needs, not just meeting our own needs. And so now we're going to focus on the attitude of Jesus, starting again at verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God was something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Before we wrap up today, we need to address the elephant in the room. Now, some of you didn't even know that the elephant was here, but some of you have been feeling it since I started talking. Some of you feel like all you do is put others first. Maybe you're a parent at home with young kids, and it seems your entire life is wrapped around putting those kids' needs first, and you never have time for yourself. Maybe you're a hardworking guy who goes to work every day and puts all the effort in, but gets none of the reward at work. And when you come home, it's all about the wife and the kids, and you feel like you never have any time for yourself. You know, maybe you're taking care of someone who has a chronic illness, somebody who's got some health needs, and it's, it's sucking the life out of you. You have no time for yourself. You're always thinking of them, always putting them first before your own needs. And you think, how can I keep doing this? It's nice to tell me this is supposed to be a Christ-like thing, but I am exhausted, I am resentful, and I'm angry. And I can't keep doing this. Maybe you have been bending over backward for one person over and over and over again in your life. And all they do is complain. They are never thankful. They are ungrateful. They don't even notice what you do. They just put you down and don't even recognize that you're trying to put them first. You know, it seems like a really noble idea to put others first, but sometimes we just can't be noble anymore. Let's acknowledge that putting others first can be exhausting. It can wear you out. But there are differences between what Jesus did to refresh himself 
and the me time that the world says we deserve. One difference is in the motivation for taking time for yourself. Jesus did take time for himself. He went away to meet alone with God. There were times where he went away from the crowds, not toward them, which seems very opposite of putting others' needs first. But he stepped away. Sometimes with his closest friends, he would go away. But here's the thing. It wasn't just about these people are, are too needy. They drive me a little crazy. I need to get away. I need to take a good long bubble bath. That wasn't what Jesus was doing. He was still putting others first by taking time away because his motivation for taking time away was to refresh in order to keep putting others first. Does that make sense? It's in the motivation for why we step away and take that time. Jesus didn't take me time. He took we time. He got alone with God, and that's where he looked for his refreshment, his renewal, all the strength that he needed. And he got his strength to carry on and continue putting others first from the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what we need to do too, is look to the Holy Spirit for the strength we need to carry on. The second difference is in Jesus' attitude. The world tells you to take me time because you deserve it. Well, Jesus didn't have that attitude of self-entitlement. His attitude was always one of humility and love. As we saw, he gave up his divine privileges in heaven in order to come and humbly serve and give his life here on earth. Yes, he took time to be alone with God. He took time to be with his friends. But it wasn't with a selfish attitude. It was with an attitude that said, I want to refresh myself in order to continue to give to others. So if you're feeling exhaustion, you're feeling resentment as you're trying to put others first in your life, take a step back. Sit down with God and say, what is my motivation here? Can you change your thought to say, I am taking care of these little children that are driving me a little crazy because I'm serving God to show them God's love so that one day they will come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you look at it that way? Check your heart, check your attitude and your motivation. What does putting others first look like for you this week? I don't know. And chances are, sitting right here right now, you don't know either. So here's your challenge. As I said before, becoming a one kingdom disciple is not about going through a list of things to do to become a better Christian. You don't become a better Christian by working at it. You either are a Christian or you are not a Christian. There is not a, this level of Christian is better than this level of Christian. What it is is becoming more like Jesus Christ, and that is a lifelong journey for every follower of Christ. You never arrive till you get to heaven, but we just keep working through that, trying to meet with Jesus more and more and more. And you know what? It's not a work we do ourselves, that we choose to be better at something. I'm going to try harder to put others first this week. No. I want you to not try harder. I want you to choose right now that you will at least three times this week, this may be a stretch for some of you because it's not something you do, at least three times this week, I want you to take 15 minutes, sit down with God, and do a couple of things. Pick up your Bible and read something. If you don't know where to read, on our church website at eaglemont.church, you can find a Bible engagement plan that has short passages of scripture to read one a day. It'll give you a starting point. 
Then I want you to just talk to God. That means tell him everything. Tell him, okay, this week has been crazy. I hate it. This is terrible. Or maybe I'm just so bored. I've got nothing to do. Everything's shut down. I don't have a job. Whatever it is, I want you to just talk to God about everything that's on your heart. Then you stop. Listen. So you get about five minutes of reading, five minutes of talking to God, and five minutes of quietly listening. And in that listening time, I want you to say, how can I be more like Jesus this week? specifically in the area of putting others first. So it's not a matter of choosing an activity to do to put others first. It's a matter of needing alone with Jesus and saying, change me from the inside out and give me the ability to be more like you, Jesus. Develop that in me. Show me this week what I can do to put others first with your motivation and your attitude, fully trusting you. Let's pray. Father God, we know that it's nothing that we can do that makes us more like Jesus. It's what you do inside of us. And our only responsibility is to develop that relationship with you, spend time with you, allow you to work in us. And so God, today we surrender. We surrender our own needs and wants and desires and exhaustion and resentment and anger. And we say, come, work in me, change my motivation, change my attitude. Teach me to trust you, God. Help me to fully understand my identity that is in you and you alone as I walk through this life. Help me to be more like Jesus in every way. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.